Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good day, and thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. This is Dean Finelli. I'm your host. I'm also an IP attorney and transactional attorney in the Life Sciences Group of Cooley LLP in Washington. It's a pleasure to have everyone today. I am very excited to talk to our guest today, Mr. Neil Romano, the former chairman at the National Council on Disability. Uh, I think it's really an important issue that, you know, we hear a lot about the virus it's all over the news and it's obviously the story in the life science industry and everyone's life uh but one area that we don't hear a lot is the effects that the virus has and on the group of people with disabilities and especially how these people are are receiving the vaccine how they're reacting and how this the whole virus has affected them and you know so we hear some news out there covid 19 has reversed decades of employment gains for people with disabilities. There are some 60 million people, uh, adults in the U.S. with a disability, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, Earlier last year, we saw that when the pandemic initially occurred and we had a lot of closures, uh, unemployment for those with disabilities skyrocketed to almost 20 percent. And even as of August, uh, these numbers, when things started to open up again and continue to open up, you know, the numbers of people with disabilities are just out proportioned when it comes to unemployment. So I'm really excited to talk to Mr. Romano today. Another uh, issue out there is, you know, how states are prioritizing people with disabilities when they when it comes to vaccinations. We heard uh, a lot of CDC guidelines that have gone out. Uh, prioritizing different people, obviously healthcare workers, people with pre-existing conditions in nursing homes, uh, as well as people over the age of 65. We know that these are high-risk people, but again, you know, it tends to get lost in a lot of this other information, uh, the effect uh, and the prioritization of people with disabilities uh, on the vaccine dissemination. So uh, we'll be interested to hear about that as well. Uh, Advocates for people with disabilities say, the updated guidance uh, that has been coming out is a step in the right direction, but uh, still uh, it doesn't really go as far as it should go. And more recently, uh, earlier, I think it was last week, a uh, family on Southwest Airlines uh, was actually kicked off uh, the, the plane when their child who suffers from MS uh, wasn't able to wear a mask. So we're seeing you know, certainly we understand uh, airlines have their guidelines and, you know, they're to protect the people in masses. But 
you know, it just something just doesn't seem right when you have a person that has a note from their doctor that says they have a disability that says, you know, there a certain individual is unable to wear a mask because of a, uh, of a disability and you allow them to get on a plane and then you pull them off the plane. It seems like we need to have a better uh, process. And it does look like Southwest did address this issue effective March 21st. They, they are putting in uh, place uh, a procedure where in advance of getting on an airplane, uh, you can submit information if you need an exemption and they will look at this. But again, uh, you know, you'll have to do this ahead of time. This won't be the type of situation where, you know, you can just show up at the airport with a doctor's note or a person with a disability. They'll have to do this ahead of time. So a lot of issues that related to COVID-19 that do affect people with disabilities. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Romano, Mr. Romano today. Uh, in other news, you know, we hear a lot about what's going on in Europe and the AstraZeneca vaccine. Seems like about 17 or so countries more every day are holding the distribution and administration of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, now the latest news is apparently a group of people, a small group, about 30 people to 40 people, have shown signs that they have exhibited uh, blood clots and after receiving the vaccine. And now, uh, at least in my opinion, in typical European fashion, they're kind of overreacting to this. You know, when you think of the millions of doses that went out and, you know, one of the issues that we keep hearing about is, you know, when you're administering a vaccine, to relatively healthy people, to tens of millions and hundreds of millions of healthy people, uh, there has to be a causal relationship. People get blood clots in the general population. And one of the issues in Europe is the level of blood clots that they're seeing there are lower than the level with these people after vaccination are lower than the level in the general population. And more importantly, it's kind of counterintuitive. And the European Medicine Agency came out and said this, people that experience uh, the virus and become infected with the virus have a 28% likelihood of getting blood clots. So, you know, even they're not showing this causal relationship, but they're actually putting their people in jeopardy because if people get the virus, you're more likely to get blood clots. That's been known since last year uh, that people that have experienced uh, the infection have started to get these blood clots. And that's believed to be because of the interaction of the virus with the ACE2 inhibitors of that line these capillaries and blood cells, but that's a, another issue. Um, but hopefully the Europeans will come around because it's really been a disaster for them over there, this whole vaccine. We just heard uh, Italy is now completely on lockdown again. It's their strictest lockdown since last year. Uh, so they're going in the wrong direction. And this is for a lot of reasons. I mean, it looks like uh, Europe under procurement of the vaccine has been a big issue over there. I mean, frankly, uh, we talked about this before, how it's a national embarrassment in Germany where you have the Pfizer BioNTech. BioNTech's a German company, and they don't even have that vaccine available uh, to the extent we have it in the U.S. Uh, one of the things, you know, that Operation Warp Speed was very successful in doing was funding these companies, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, Novavax, and others uh, to, for the development of the vaccine, and in exchange for that, having options to uh, purchase allotments. So we heard President Biden about a week or so ago say by this summer we should have about 600 million doses available. They're moving those goalposts up. Uh, we should have by May uh, the availability of the vaccine for pretty much anyone who wants it. Uh, so that's certainly good news. And 
even when you look at these project projections for herd immunity, originally we were talking somewhere in the September-October timeframe. It looks like uh, we're administering about 2.5 million doses per day. Uh, that means we could hit herd immunity sometime earlier in the summer. In fact, last weekend there were over 4 million doses administered. So things are certainly in the U.S. Uh, not where we need to be, certainly not uh, a situation where the pandemic's over or where we should not be wearing masks, but certainly this we're moving in the right direction. Uh, over 110 million doses have been administered in the United States. Uh, 40 million people are fully vaccinated, mean, meaning they've either received a single shot of the J&J &J vaccine or both doses of the Pfizer or Moderna. Uh, and about 150 million doses have been distributed. So let's talk about how, you know, we're hearing all these good numbers, but let's talk about how we're, uh, these good numbers are affecting or not affecting people with disabilities. I am very honored to, today to talk to Mr. Neil Romano. He's the former chairman at the National Council on Disability. He's really dedicated his career to mar marketing of ideas and messages to help save lives and promote public policy uh, for those with disabilities. Uh, Mr. Romano has extensive background uh, as Director of Communications for the White House Office of Drug Abuse Policy. And in 2007, Mr. Romano was nominated by President George W. Bush to be the Assistant Secretary of Labor for Disability Employment Policy and was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Uh, you know, really nice to hear that someone was unanimously, unanimously confirmed when, especially this day and age, where nothing seems to be unanimous when it comes to Congress. Uh, Mr. Romano, pleasure to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Doctor. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, always a delight to speak with someone who cares about people with disabilities because uh, we know that they're not always frontline people that we talk about. That, that's true, and we heard some of these stories. Now, how, how do you feel about COVID? Is this disproportionately affecting people with disabilities? You know, uh, first of all, people with disabilities are being affected the same way with regard to, you know, all the, the health effects, but then the, the residual effects are amazing. You talked about, for instance, unemployment skyrocketing. Well, a lot of people with disabilities are either new people into the employment field, which is very sad, or they have they fall under the category of non-essential personnel. So, you know, they're the first ones out of the boat, and they're going to be the last ones hired back. So from that point of view, they're going to have problems. When you, you mentioned the situation on the airplane uh, with a young man not being able to wear a mask, I mean, there is a lack of understanding often that there are people with breathing problems. There are people with emotional and psychological problems to doing certain things that make it difficult that are even more than the, uh, the average American. You have situations that we, you know, dire situations that happen in places like nursing homes and congregate settings where people with disabilities tend to be uh, and the level of care there. But, you know, I guess, Doc, the, the thing to say here, though, is this is not, is, this is not a great surprise. Uh, it's not surprising. People with disabilities are marginalized greatly uh, in, uh, in medicine. Uh, everything from, you know, being discriminated against for organ transplants or genetic testing or things like uh, quality-adjusted life years that 
You have third-party people making decisions as to whether or not a person with a disability's life is as valuable as the next person. Uh, medical futility uh, and disability bias and things like assisted suicide, all of these things demonstrate that people with disabilities are viewed differently and frankly get treated very differently uh, when it comes to things like this. Um, I, the, the Department of Health and Human Services, specifically the Office of Civil Rights, had to put out a piece um, to all the medical community saying, hey, you have to treat people with disabilities the same as everybody else. And that may sound like it's, it's something that should be you know, thought of as, of course, of course you have to, but it's not the case. Uh, during my time as chairman uh, of, of NCD, one of the things I had the opportunity to do was to speak with a few states. I'm not going to tell you who they are because it's kind of not fair, uh, and ask them about their emergency procedures for uh, a pandemic or healthcare like this. And you ask them all the usual questions. How does it work? Why does it work that way? And, you know, why are your emergency procedures for people with disabilities lacking? And then you ask them a basic question. How many people with disabilities or from the disability field advocates were on the panels and the boards that made up these standards? And invariably, the answer is none, zero. And you'd say, well, is this, would this be acceptable with any other category of Americans? Things like that speak volumes. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing these incredible differences where you have places, uh, you know, you have someone uh, in, in, a, in a hospital who has COVID who also has disability. And we hear the wife uh, on tape uh, fighting for the life of that person with a doctor who has made a decision to say things like, well, you know, even if we take care of him, he doesn't have that good a quality of life anyway. So what's the difference? That's devastating. It really is shocking to hear that. This is uh, Dean Finale on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm talking with Mr. Neil Romano, the former chairman at the National Council of Disability. Uh, Mr. Romano, when we hear about the prioritization of the vaccine distribution, and you alluded to this a little bit, uh, it, it seemed like they got it right when they talked about these high-risk groups, but it also seemed like they could have done a lot more when it comes to people with disabilities because, you know, as you mentioned, these people can't really speak for themselves oftentimes. Uh, and how, how do you feel about that? Do you, should, do you think they should have maybe had a, a separate prioritization group for specifically for people with disabilities? Absolutely. I think they should have been prioritized much higher in the orders by states uh, much higher. I mean, I, uh, a lot of states, they're in not even the second wave, they're in the third wave of people. Now, I'm a person with multiple disabilities. So one is just a learning disability, but I also have, uh, I also have leukemia. And right off the bat, you know uh, that I am, I am immune compromised and, and I, am, I am a COVID target walking around, frankly, uh, because of breathing issues and everything to do with that. The concept that you have to wait, a person like that has to wait, shows, demonstrates very clearly this prioritization uh, of taking care of healthy people first because of a culture that talks about uh, triage. Uh, I had a conversation and debate with someone uh, about the fact that they said, well, we use a triage message. You know, we want to make sure the healthiest get taken care of first. Um, and that we'll, we'll get to the people, you know, with disabilities later. 
it seems pretty much on its head because triage is uh, really supposed to only be used in military situations. Uh, but when you use it in the hospital, if you're picking and choosing who you are going to treat, that is a very, very dangerous situation. And if you're not looking at the, the, the sickest right off the bat and those who are likely to get sick, then you really start creating problems. And I think that it's devastating that we haven't treated people with disabilities in the first round. You know, it's funny. If you look at the way it was prioritized, it's producers. You know, it's people that are, quote, unquote, valuable to society. Well, I have nothing against that. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there's a recognition. There's always this recognition that people with disabilities, when you look at it from a, from a, from a point of view of a person with a disability or an ethicist, you see that it has to do with show, believing there's less value there, so less emphasis is put on those human beings. Yeah, it really is just, you know, it seems like when you think about these issues, they should just be common sense. But then again, you know, we're kind of a country that tends to, you know, be a, a lobbying country where if you're not lobbying, if you're not that voice that's making the most noise, you tend to get ignored or overlooked. You think uh, as far as, you know, what are some of the mistakes you saw uh, aside from, you know, the prioritization, but what do you think are some of the mistakes that are going on in this country as it relates generally to people with disabilities uh, or as it relates to the pandemic? Well, I mean, in general, uh, it's, it's, you know, when you have a situation in a system uh, where if a person with a disability in many states uh, is born with a disability, okay, before the parents can see the child, they first have to see a, a grief counselor. Um, that says everything you need to know about how we feel about people with disabilities. I've had so many parents say to me, you know, Neil, I couldn't believe it. I had to wait a day before I could see my baby because I found out my baby had Down syndrome, but they sent the grief counselor in to sit with me and tell me, you know, how bad their life was going to be, and they knew nothing about it. The fact of the matter is that we don't look at people with disabilities for what they can do. We look at them from our own perspective and say what they can't do. You know, I'm, I'm glad. I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, uh, people generally don't look at me that way or look at, you know, you don't want to look at anybody through that lens. You know, it's just not fair. You know, I've said to people many times, they do a lot of work in baseball. And I one time had a funny conversation uh, with a couple of baseball players and said, you know, uh, you're not uh, as good as Derek Jeter. And then Jeter said, yeah, but I can't hit home runs like that guy. People understand that people have different skills, but for some reason, and abilities and values, but for some reason, when it comes to disability, people stop at what they see or think a person with disabilities can do. I, uh, you know, I had a, a fascinating thing happen about a month ago. I got to watch a group of blind people who have a company that builds websites, beautiful websites, beautifully articulated websites, beautiful visual websites. No one would ever believe that unless you see it. These are people who are completely blind doing that. So that flows into the whole concept of people with disabilities and what they can and can't do. And when you, when you sprinkle in things, like uh, genetic testing right at the outset, right at the very outset. We're saying 
we're going to find these folks. You know, we're going to find these folks, and then if we can, we're going to eliminate them early. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, the National Council on Disabilities is a bipartisan, uh, very, very bipartisan group. And that particular issue, along with others, was found to be completely odious. But a normal, you know, a normal flow for people with disabilities in life. And then the fact that you have things like quality uh, adjusted life years uh, that literally, literally, people in insurance companies and places are making a decision that it's not as valuable to treat X, to treat this healthy guy, as it is to treat this guy, because you don't think the quality, the quality of that person's life is worth, you know, is worth what you think it's worth. Doesn't make any difference what the quality of that person's life is to themselves, their family, the people that love them, all the things we want, all the things we expect. Things like that create problems. And for COVID, really what happened in the disability community with COVID-19, all of these issues that we've been talking about in the disability community have really, really surfaced in a big way and proved to the public and God bless you, someone like you, uh, that, you know, these are issues that need to be discussed and need to be brought to the attention of the American people because they're real, they're not fair, they're un-American, and they're not what we think of ourselves as a people. Yeah, it really is shocking. What are some organizations that are out there that are, uh, you know, at least bringing, if not helping people with disabilities, at least trying to bring uh, attention to this matter? Like yourself, I know you dedicated your life to this, but what other organizations and people are out there that, you know, are spreading this this news? Because I think you're absolutely right. It's something, you know, unless it affects people directly, we kind of just look at people with disabilities as them and, you know, not as an inclusive part of society. Uh, so are there organizations that are, are actively trying to correct this? There are, you know, that that's a great question. I appreciate it. There are a lot of really, really great uh, organizations. Now, the National Council on Disabilities that I worked, uh, that I was chaired, uh, and I'm still a member of, I mean, we are literally a federal, an independent federal panel. But then there are organizations that fight for things like the National Down Syndrome Society, a remarkable group of people. Uh, and by the way, uh, have the first person with Down Syndrome in the history of the United States who's now a, who's now a registered lobbyist. I have worked with that young lady. She goes in a room and she has Down syndrome and she just shuts the room down when people ask questions that I just want to be treated like you. I want to be treated in this field like someone else. So NDSS is one. Another one I think of is a group called NICL, the National Council on Independent Living, uh, a group that, you know, works with people uh, who have uh, in wheelchairs and people with quadriplegics and bipolarians who want to lead and live a normal life. Uh, they want to be in their own home. They want to do what everybody else does. They want to have a job. They want to have a vehicle that they can drive. They want to be able to go places. I had a brother uh, who recently passed uh, who was a quadriplegic from the Vietnam War. And he used to say to me all the time, he would say, Neil, he said, in America, there's, uh, they only ask you two questions when you enter a room. The first one is your name, and the second one is what do you do? And if you don't do anything, and if you don't have a job, the conversation ends very, very quickly. 
group like the National Council on Independent Living is fighting to make sure people get jobs, is fighting to make sure people are allowed to be relevant and as active in society as they choose. And I could go on and on, but I picked, uh, I picked those two because it's uh, two very, the, the National Federation of the Blind, for instance, another one. Uh, I wanted to give you a series of different groups. So, um, you know, th these are all wonderful, wonderful groups that work in categories. And oftentimes, you know, you find that they work together uh, to get certain pieces of legislation and things done, you know, looking at things like Social Security, disability benefits, and so on. Mr. Romano, thank you so much for everything you do and for being a guest today on our show on politics and life science radio. I think it's really just an incredible privilege to have you and to have that message that you have uh, being out there because I, I think including myself, it's an issue that, you know, you tend to not really think about on a daily basis, but it's just so important to have people like you and these organizations that you mentioned uh, spreading the word and bringing light to this group that is oftentimes overlooked. So thank you so much for joining us on politics and life science radio today. Well, Doctor, thank you very much for uh, for helping make this an issue and for understanding how important every human being is to our society. It was my pleasure. Thank you all for joining us today. And Mr. Romano on Politics and Life Science Radio, this is Dean Finelli. It was a pleasure having you. I hope you enjoyed our show. And please go out there and look up some of these organizations that Mr. Romano mentioned. You know, this is an issue. We hear about the pandemic. We hear about a lot of at-risk groups, and we hear about a lot of issues that are facing all of us in society today. But, you know, we have to remember there are a lot of people out there with disabilities that tend to get overlooked that need our support as well. So uh, thank you again to Mr. Romano. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you again on our show and listening to our show next week. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.